We ask you, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say. I pray, God, that you would give us a heart that's attentive to your voice. As we open up our hearts to hear, God, would you make your word find a place in us that brings transformation? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, our series is entitled Moving Forward, and this week is entitled Sampling the Rewards. Sampling the rewards. Now, last week, why did Achan's sin make him deserving of the death penalty? One commentator wrote this. Because Achan's sin endangered the survival of Israel as a theocratic community. God was establishing a people who were fully devoted to him. A theocratic community is one in which God is the head. He is the supreme authority, and his commands are to be carried out with precision. When this authority is not maintained, anarchy is the result, and the whole group suffers. It's hard to accomplish anything when people refuse to come under authority or to submit to authority. I want you to imagine a football team where each person does what they want to do. The punter thinks he should be punting on third down. The linemen are blocking the wrong way. The receivers are running the wrong patterns. And each running back always wants the ball. They want the ball all the time. What that is, is that is a prescription for a disaster. That's a prescription for a loss. In a football team, you have a coach. And either the coach or someone he predetermines calls the plays. And when people follow the plays, they oftentimes find success. If the church and if the kingdom of God is to move forward, then we must keep Jesus Christ as our supreme authority. Let me make it perfectly clear. In the kingdom of God... You are not in charge. Look to the person next to you and say, you're not in charge. I know we don't like that. I know we bristle against that. I know that's so hard. It goes against everything our society teaches us. But in the kingdom of God, you are not in charge. God is. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. Your vote does not count. How about that? Oh my, that just stings. What My vote doesn't count? What I say doesn't count? In the kingdom of God, your vote does not count. You don't get to add an amendment to God's word or his commands. Later on, you don't get to vote and you, you know, we don't get together and say, well, you know, this lying thing, I think we should be able to tell white lies. This stealing thing, I think we should kind of make some adjustments. Let's make an amendment to this stealing thing. No, you and I do not get to make the rules. And there again, I know for some of us, that just stings. Doesn't it? It hurts us. It's like, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Well, let me explain something else that you probably won't want to hear as well. If you do not come under his authority... You are in rebellion, and you and I will bear the consequences of such rebellion. In his kingdom, God is the ultimate authority. He establishes rules, 
and he delegates authority as he sees fit. If you want to be part of his kingdom, then you need to follow his leading and you need to be under the authority he establishes. If not, then you cannot be part of the kingdom. You don't get to pick and choose which rules you submit to and which ones you don't. If you choose not to be a part of the kingdom, then you have to live with the fallout of your decision. It is not good when society degenerates to the point where each person does what is right in his own eyes. That's what Israel was like during the time of the judges. And whenever there was a strong spiritual leader among the people, the people were blessed. And they came under his, that spiritual leadership and that guidance. They were blessed and the nation prospered. Whenever that leadership died, then they would oftentimes go through a period of time of rebellion when each person did what was right in his own eyes. That's not a good place for us to be. It's not a good place for us to, well, I'll just kind of do what I want, and, and, and if it's okay with me. In Achan's case, when the defeat might have, why was it wrong in Achan's case? Because the defeat could have reduced the terror of the people of the land that they would gather together against Israel. In other words, I'm going to just be honest with you. They heard about God opening up the Red Sea and how he destroyed Pharaoh. And now they, he, and they walked through on dry ground. The people heard about it and were afraid and they wouldn't mess with them because of that. And also, as Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River, God opens up. Do you see these parallels? You're going to read, as you read through them, you'll find that there's parallels between Moses and Joshua. It's like they both did sometimes almost the same thing. Joshua walks through on dry ground. If a guy can, like, walk through a river and it stops and backs up and people walk through on dry ground, I'd be kind of afraid. And so this fear in the people caused them to oftentimes just to flee from the land, not even to confront the Israelites. They were afraid of them. Achan's sin made the people liable, and so they lost their power, they lost their authority, and what could happen is all the people could gather together against them and come and fight against them, okay? That's one of the problems. The second thing is that 36 men had died needlessly in the battle against Ai. The sin of Achan had caused the death of 36 of his companions. A graphic lesson has been taught that obedience to God is vital. Obedience brings victory. Disobedience results in defeat. Now, in Joshua chapter 8, this is where we're picking up, starting at verse 1. Last week, they killed Achan. They put him to death. They destroyed him and his families. The things that they were told to do to the enemies of God were done to Achan. Okay, chapter 8, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Take the whole army and go up with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourself. So set an ambush... 
behind the city. Uh, The thing that stood out to me is God said, except, do the same thing that you did to Jericho, except this time you may carry off the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. The defeated Ai had caused the Israelites to lose their confidence. But now that Achan's sin has been dealt with, God's favor towards Israel was restored. He assured Joshua that he had not forsaken him or the people. And Joshua heard a very familiar word, one that he had heard before. What was that word? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Moses spoke this word to Joshua when he was among the 12 spies who went to spy out the land nearly 40 years before. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Moses also spoke this word to Joshua when he was turning over the reins of leadership of the nation of Israel to Joshua. He spoke that very same word from the Lord. Don't be afraid. You know, be courageous. Don't be discouraged. God spoke to Joshua himself after the death of Moses, and he spoke that very same word. Now at this crucial time in Joshua's life, it was good to be reminded and reassured that God was ready to lead if Joshua was ready to listen to his plan. God, I want you to hear this, God was going to turn a place of defeat into a place of victory. If Joshua was willing to do it God's way. A place that had been a place of great defeat and of humiliation was now going to be a place of victory. And I want you to, there's something for somebody today. That God is able to take our places of defeat and turn them into places of victory if we will listen to his plan. Before the actual battle plan was revealed to Joshua... He was told that although the city was to be burned, the spoil of Ai and its livestock could be taken by Israel. Jericho had been under a ban. Don't touch the devoted things. Those belong to God. But Ai was not. Think about the irony. If Achan had waited a few days and obeyed God's word at Jericho, he would later have had all his heart desired along with God's blessing. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. Don't be quick. That's the thing with negotiations. Sometimes you shouldn't tell everybody what you want right away. You know, a lot of times we'll go in and we'll say, well, I'll give you. That's not a good way to negotiate. You should be quiet. What did you want for that? And with God... Don't go into God and demand what you want from him. Because God always gives his best to those who let the decision up to him. What a beautiful thought that we go in and a lot of times we say, God, I have to have this. And God has something that's better for us. And yet many times we will press our way and, and we'll force our way and we'll bully our way with God and say, I want it, God, give it to me. And God has something, you know, sometimes God gives in to our demands and lets us have what we want. But oftentimes he had something much better just down the road. He had something much better down the road. I would encourage you to just jot down that thought. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. 
When we run ahead of God, we usually rob ourselves and hurt others. Now, they were going to have the opportunity now to sample the rewards that come from obedience. God was going to fulfill his word and give them what he promised in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He told them about a land with large flourishing cities that you didn't build. Houses filled with all kinds of goods you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. As I was doing my message, I believe that God gave me a word for somebody. Maybe it's not you, but maybe it's someone in the second service. In spite of the defeats, I think you'll want to claim onto this one, though. In spite of the defeats you've experienced, you will sample the rewards that come with obedience. There is a reward for those who move forward. There is a reward for those who overcome. There is a reward for those who walk in obedience. There is a blessing that comes to those who obey. And if you wait upon the Lord, you will sample the reward of obedience. The first time they went to battle with Ai, Joshua listened to the spies. This time, he listens to the Lord. God gave him specific strategy, and it differed from the strategy he had given him concerning Jericho. And understand this, that because God gives you a victory in your life, does not mean you're to do it that way every time. Because there comes a point in our lives sometimes where God has blessed us and he's prospered us and we think we know how, we know where we are to step and we think we know what's the way that we are to take. But because God gives you a victory does not mean that same pattern should be used all the time. God's not limited by any one method or way of doing things. Nor should we come to the place where we think we do not need to inquire of the Lord We should not be presumptuous concerning the ways of the Lord. Joshua was presumptuous, and he sent out the spies, and the spies gave him their advice. And we don't find that Joshua inquired of the Lord what he should do. But this time, Joshua inquires of the Lord, and God gave him a specific strategy. The strategy to capture Ai involved placing an ambush behind a city. There were to be three groups of soldiers, and you can read through that at your own leisure throughout the rest of the chapter. The first group were sent by night to hide just west of the city of Ai. Their assignment was to rush into the city and burn it after its defenders had deserted it to pursue Joshua and his army. This unit numbered 30,000. And this may seem like a lot of people, but in that area, there were large rocks in this region that made it possible for these groups of people to hide out of sight. The second group was the main army, which marched 15 miles from Gilgal early the next morning, and they camped in the plain view on the north side of Ai. This army was led by Joshua, and their job was to draw the defenders of Ai out into the open, out of the city. A third group was another ambush of 5,000 men. They were positioned between Bethel and Ai to cut off the possibility that the men from Bethel would come and aid the men of Ai. The plan worked to perfection. 
few days before, they had whipped up on the children of Israel. And so as they come out, the men of Israel begin to back off and feign as if they're being defeated. And this gives the other men courage. And they come out and start chasing them. And when they start chasing them, what happens? The one group of men who were in the city or hiding behind the city come out. These guys leave the city unprotected. All of their men leave and run to the battle. And here comes the men of Israel. They come in, they capture the city, and they begin to set things on fire. And here the men of Ai turn and look, and they see the smoke rising. They see an army in front of them, an army behind them, and an army to their left. Okay? And they were utterly destroyed. During this battle, we also find another familiar account. Remember whenever Moses raised his arms to heaven and they had two guys who came alongside him and every time Moses' arms would grow weary and grow tired, the battle, the Israelites would lose the battle. It was almost like his arms would be up high, raised towards heaven. And when his arms would get tired, the momentum of the battle would go towards the enemy. And then whenever his arms sent two guys, they held up his arms. When he held up his arms, as long as his arms were extended towards heaven, the children of Israel uh, won. Um, can you imagine Moses going like, oh, how are you guys doing? And they could see the enemy was winning against Israel whenever Moses' arms were down. We find an account of this, how God gives a victory to Joshua. In verse 18, the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that's in your hand, for into your hand I'll deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from the position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Skipping down to verse 24. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased him, And when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. Now I want you to think about this. As he held out his javelin, there was something about that. As as he held out his javelin, the people understood that they were to move. And it was as if God's favor rested upon him. His holy hands were lifted up to God, God's favor. And they utterly destroyed their enemies. Now, some people get all caught up in saying, well, why? I can understand that. We get a little confused about why would God utterly wipe out people? It's a hard one. I think that's another message, okay? I think some hands, that's another message for us to understand. But God is a just God, and his judgments are sure. What he does is right. And the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And God was establishing for himself. These were a rebellious people who did not want anything to do with God. They were a pagan nation, and they came under God's judgment. It's, it's as simple as that. But one of the things that I, I want to point out is, with Joshua, this idea of utterly destroying your enemies. God understood this. If we let these people hang around, they are going to, in a generation or two, they are going to destroy 
what I'm trying to do in the lives of the children of Israel. Their children were not Mary. God was trying to establish a theocracy in which he was the king, which he was the Lord. And the, the same principle, I know this is a spiritual, this is a, a spiritual application, somewhat of a stretch, but if you and I, there's things in our lives that we need to utterly destroy. If you let them hang around in your life, if you let them hang around in your family, they're going to get your kids. And God wants us to have a place in our lives where we come to ultimate victory, where we utterly destroy some of the things in your life that would try to weave their way into your family, some of the things that would try to get into your home, some of the things that would try to impact your life. God wants to bring complete and total victory in your life because if you live a life of compromise, if you allow certain things to linger, it's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your grandchildren. It's going to affect generations that follow. And God understood that it was so important. These people had an opportunity at some point. Surely God is a gracious God and a merciful God. And that brings us to the other thing. God brings judgment at times. Very simply, in the Old Testament, there was laws. The obedience to those laws brought blessings. Disobedience to those laws brought curses. You know, there's laws of gravity. I can tell you, hey, there's a law of gravity in effect. It works on all of us. And we're all going to go up onto the roof. Those of you who want to obey the laws of gravity, we have a ladder for you to come down. You can climb down that. Those of you who think you're exempt to the law of gravity, we also have another end. Uh, Please sign the insurance waiver. You know, that you will not hold us accountable. And you can try and go against the law of gravity, but every time the law of gravity is going to win. You step off the edge of the, in the back here, off the edge of the roof, and within a second, you're going to hit the ground. Okay? It's laws. You can try and fight against it. It's a law that's in effect. And God established these laws for his people He's not being unfair. He's not being mean when he says to you, if you step off the roof, you're going to hit the ground. He's not being mean to you. And a lot of people think that. They think God is being mean because there's consequences to his laws. No, he establishes those laws to protect you, to keep you. Immediately after the victory, people gather the spoils And immediately Joshua leads them on a journey to Mount Ebal. These mountains are located, and there's another mountain. These mountains are located in the geographic center of the land. From either peak, much of the promised land can be seen. Here then in a place that represented all of the land, that represented kind of like the center of the land, Joshua challenged the people to renew their covenant vows to the Lord. He brings them up to a high place, and they can look, and as far as they can see, this is what I have for you. This is what I promised you. I want you to see this. And there he causes them up. And the first thing he does is he builds an altar of uncut stones. And they were erected on Mount Ebal. And sacrifices consisting of burnt offerings and fellowship offerings were offered to the Lord. 
uncut stones kind of shows us, that, and whenever they were built an altar, they were built, that's what they were to build with uncut stones. It kind of shows us that anything that man tries to bring to God, any work that man does in bringing it to God cannot be counted. That your goodness and your righteousness, according to the scripture, is as filthy rags. But they were to build this altar of uncut stones. Jericho and Ai, in which false gods of the Canaanites were worshipped, had fallen. Israel now publicly worshipped and proclaimed her faith in the one true God. The second thing we find here at the end of the chapter is that Joshua set up large pillars. Surrounding the altar, he built these large pillars and probably put some type of uh, like stucco type thing on the side so that these pillars could be written upon. And upon them, he wrote the law of Moses. How much of the law was inscribed, we don't know. It may have been the Ten Commandments. It may have been the blessings and the cursings. It may have been a lot of Deuteronomy chapters 5 through 26. That would be a lot of writing on stone. But And then he began to read the law to the people. And there was like a natural amphitheater there. Half the people were positioned on the slopes of Mount Gerizim to the south. The other half were on the slopes of Mount Ebal to the north. And the Ark of the Covenant surrounded by the priest was in the valley between. As the curses were read one by one, the tribe on Mount Ebal responded, Amen. And as the blessings were read, the tribes on Mount Gerizim responded, Amen. The huge natural amphitheater made it possible for the people to hear every word. And with all sincerity, Israel affirmed that the law of the Lord was indeed to be the law of of their land. From this point on, the history of the Jews depended on their attitude toward the law which had been read in their hearing that day. When they were obedient, there were blessings. When they were disobedient, there would be judgments. For you and I today, I want you to know this that God has called us to move forward. There's no doubt about it. And in spite, friends, you may have temporary defeats and you may have temporary setbacks. And like the children of Israel, you may lose heart in the midst of that. But again and again, the word of God comes to his people. Be strong. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. How many times, my friend, has God spoken those words to you? Or something like that. How many times in the midst of you know, your defeat, God speaks to you once again and he he reminds you, whether it's through his Holy Spirit, whether it's through a message that you hear, whether it's through a friend, God speaks to you and he tells you, get back up. Keep moving. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't faint. Here at AI, this time, God allowed them to get a taste, a sampling of the rewards that come with obedience. If only Achan had understood, if only his heart would have been able to understand that, wait a minute, it's just down the road. God has something better for me. When I let the choice to God, he always gives me his best. He always provides better for me than what I would provide for myself. Now as a church, God's calling us to move forward. He's calling you 
to move forward. Don't let the setbacks of yesterday stop you from moving forward today. Don't let the defeats of the past cause you to lose heart. Don't let them to play with your mind and discourage you. And do this for me. Will you start expecting? Will you start expecting that God's going to let you sample the rewards that come with obedience? Will you just start expecting, you know, don't live with that lie. The enemy wants to lie to you and say, God's withholding good things from you. No, you need to be assured of this, that when you put him first and seek his kingdom first, that he's going, he promises that you will reap the rewards that come with obedience. You'll reap the rewards that come from faith. You'll reap the rewards that come from moving forward. As we close, I just want to share with you, I had a couple people from our last message come to me, and they said, last week we talked about not touching the devoted things. And I had a couple people who've come to me and said, Pastor, I don't want to be part of the reason why Lighthouse is held back. I've had a couple of them. They've come to me and said, Pastor, we're going to do our part. We're going to do our part. What an incredible thing. I'm just excited to see, we shared with you last week, that if the people in our congregation who are not doing what God asks of them, and they're touching the devoted things, the tithe, if they would give that, that we'd be in a position from an annual budget, that we'd be in a position that we can move forward and be able to handle a debt load and return that. And a lot of times people think it takes a whole, whole bunch of, like, oh my, i got to make this incredible sacrifice. The reality of it is this. If you look at our budget and if you look at the future and if you look at the average income in our community, if we have 10 people, 10 families, who are simply in a place where they're just not, they're not honoring God in that way, if we have 10 families who will start honoring God in that way, 10 households, if you consider the average household income in our community, we'll be able to move forward when it comes that time. And so I just ask you, if you're one of those people who God's been speaking to about that, will you talk to Karen or somebody? You don't, you know, just say to them, I'm going to do what God asks of us. I'm going to do that. And you know what I believe? I believe, I believe this, that you will sample the rewards that come from obedience. As a church, we'll all be able to move forward. And we'll be able to reach our community. We'll be able to see God just do incredible things. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people today. I thank you, Lord, that you have good things in store for us. I thank you, Lord, that a past defeat does not have to determine my future. Every day is a new day with you, Lord. Every day is a new opportunity. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Lord, help us not to be short-sighted, but help us to move forward expecting you to provide, to strengthen us, to meet our needs, and to let us experience and taste the rewards that come from obedience, Lord. The peace, the joy, the blessings, the favor of God. And Lord, we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.